I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Over the past two years, there has been a refugee crisis in Afghanistan and Ukraine. Millions have fled their homes, leaving friends, possessions, pets, and in some cases, family behind. Some of these refugees have resettled right here in Middle Tennessee. So what has that experience been like? We'll invite refugees from both countries to tell us firsthand just how long the process of resettling and making a new home in a new country can be. But first, in a historic act of partisan retaliation, the Tennessee GOP expelled two black freshman Democrats from the House of Representatives yesterday. It was an arduous six-plus hours of deliberating. A third lawmaker, Representative Gloria Johnson, was spared. The three were accused of breaking House rules by participating in a gun control protest last week on the chamber floor. Today, President Biden called the expulsions, quote, shocking and, quote, undemocratic. And Vice President Kamala Harris is set to meet with the expelled lawmakers here in Nashville later today. National media descended outside the state capitol yesterday, but inside we had WPLN's own political reporter, Blaze Ganey, reporting live, and he joins us now. Blaze, how are you doing? Tired. I imagine, my friend. I imagine. Um, but thank you for the dedication and work that you've been doing. So let's start with how the House got to this point. Yeah, so these three Democratic lawmakers you mentioned earlier went to the podium, which is the well. It's sort of a sacred almost place where you go to present bills um, in the middle of session. They did this and went to speak about the need to address gun control. This was days after the six lives were taken by a school shooter wielding two assault rifles and a pistol. Um, but they said that all they were doing was just uplifting the voices of the thousands of protesters who, for the most part, Republicans were ignoring. Usually when you have guests in the gallery that you recognize, uh, you, they take a moment to recognize who's in the gallery. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that when both galleries were full up to you know at least 200 people there. Uh, with signs, and they just ignored them. Mm -hmm. And so these three lawmakers felt like they don't want them to be ignored. They tried to speak about it. Their mics were cut, and so they went up to the front. Okay. Now, you know, other than immediately after the Civil War, only two lawmakers have ever been expelled, and that was over criminal behavior. One was convicted for bribery, the other dealing with allegations of sexual misconduct. It's pretty hard not to notice this contrast. So why expel these freshman Democrats over breaking a House rule? Like, what is the message from the GOP here in Tennessee? Well, what House Speaker Cameron Sexton said, or the House GOP's Twitter said, is unprecedented actions get unprecedented consequences. Uh, but a lot of people do believe that these uh, consequences are way too harsh. Uh, they could have been censured, meaning they, you know, don't get a chance to talk for the rest of session. They mm -hmm. could have done that. Uh, it would have essentially had the same effect since Republicans have a supermajority and those two votes wouldn't change an outcome uh, that the, if the Republican Party is truly behind an initiative, they will get it passed. So the fact that they got expelled over breaking a House rule, which Speaker Sexton told reporters last night that House rules are broken almost every day. Mm -hmm. uh, committee rules are broken. People speak out of turn all the time. But for some reason... When these young black men broke the rules, they were given a harsh penalty. So what has the public's reaction been to these expulsions? Just as surprised as, uh, I believe, President Biden 
was uh, saying that this is, uh, I don't know if he used the word shocking, but it, it is shocking. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, I mean, it was a house rule. I mean, if you didn't take the trash out last night, I would hope that your mom wouldn't put you up for adoption. Yeah. Uh, that's almost as serious as this is here. Now, Jones and Pearson are both black, and there are only 15 black representatives in the 99-person house. How much did race play as a role in their expulsion, do you think? You know, the Tennessee Black Caucus was quick to point that out. Let's let's hear what they had to say. The world saw the optics. I don't have to say a word about the fact that our two young African-American brothers were unfairly prosecuted. As we were walking, specifically when we were walking Representative Jones out of the chamber, many of us were fighting back tears. And when we went back into the chamber, many of our tears broke. And it was a shame to see some of the smirks, some of the smiles that some of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle had. That was Representative Sam McKenzie and Representative Jesse Chisholm, uh, who spoke this morning on the expulsions. And Gloria Johnson, who is white, is the only one of the three lawmakers who was not expelled. But she also said that she believes it was because of the color of her skin. Uh, so, you know, Jones and Pearson were also two of the youngest lawmakers, uh, younger than me. I'm 32. They're under 30, I believe, 28 and 29. I could be wrong. But, you know, the point is they're young. They fight back. And they get in, not physically, but get in their face, you know, just with the words. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, millions of people saw that last night um, on the House floor. And so I think that they just didn't want that pushback. What has been the Republican reaction today? Did you hear that? That was their reaction. They, mm -hmm. they didn't say a word. They haven't said a word all day. Um, last night they released that thing saying unprecedented uh, actions get unprecedented consequences, but they haven't said much at all. Um, last night, uh, House Leader William Lamberth uh, told reporters that he doesn't see ethnicity when we asked if race had anything to do with this. Huh. And uh, it's very hard to see or not see ethnicity unless you're blind. Uh, but even if you're blind, you could probably hear and feel the ethnicity that comes uh, out of people. So it was just really... Uh, weird moment. Blind or willfully ignorant. Okay, so, you know, we're already hearing that Metro Council is going to meet on Monday afternoon to decide what to do about the vacancy left by former Representative Jones's expulsion. What's next for the Nashville seat and Pearson's district in Memphis? Yeah, so there could be a special election, um, but before that happens, both county commissions uh, will have a chance to seat whoever they like. Um, and so, both uh, several uh, Metro Council members have already said that they would want to reseat Representative Justin Jones, which would send a message to the GOP that this is who they want representing them. They sent him there uh, because of his activist background and because of how boisterous and loud he can be and in your face he can be. Uh, and I would say the same for Representative Justin J. Pearson in Memphis. Uh, they have all, uh, at least one person has come out and said that they want to reseat him and Democrats in Shelby County have a nine member uh, lead. Mm. So therefore, if, if all the Democrats there choose Justin J. Pearson, he will be back. Now, do we know if Jones and Pearson even want to return to the Capitol after how they were treated? Jones told NPR this morning uh, he is interested in being reseated. He's already started fundraising. Pearson appears to have received 
uh, reactivated his fundraising as well. And they did that as soon as they were expelled. And so I think they already knew in their heads exactly uh, where this was going. You know, I do think this raises some questions about the environment of the legislature, even if they do come back. I wonder if they'll ever feel welcome. Like, can they even say what they need to say to represent their constituents? You know, that's a great question. And I think if if we learned anything from last night is that they're going to say what they want to say, no matter how, what it takes to get that across. Mm. And uh, Representative Tory Harris uh, spoke up and gave a great, uh, you know, response. Uh, he spoke directly to Representative Justin Jones and told him that he's went through the same exact things. He Representative Tory Harris is from Memphis. He's a black, openly gay man. So uh, he said that he's also raised his hand in the speaking committee and been ignored. Uh, he's also went to House Speaker Cameron Sexton and asked to be taken off of committees because he felt that he could not voice what he wanted to on the committee without being ignored or uh, just not appreciated. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I'm I'm just very very curious about where we go in the future. You know, let, let, let's take a listen to a clip from Representative Justin Pearson. But then you come here to persecute me and tell me you just don't understand the rules of debate. When I know for a fact this House has not been a place of debate for Democrats. This House has not been a place of debate for people who are transgender. This House has not been a place of debate for people who are LGBTQIA. This House has not been a place of debate for people who are already persecuted in our society. This House ain't even been a place of debate for people who wear beautiful dashikis. You know, I was on a month ago talking about Mm -hmm. uh, Pearson and that decision to wear his all-black beautiful dashiki uh, to his swearing-in ceremony. After that, he gained 3,000 followers on Instagram. And after last night's expulsion, he's at nearly 50,000. For Jones, he's over 100,000 on Twitter. And I believe actually uh, 1 million on Twitter, 100,000 on Instagram. Uh, So it's clear that a lot of people like what they had, what they heard last night from the two. And I expect to see them in the future back on a national platform. That was WPLN's Blaze Ganey, who has never had a week quite like this at the Capitol. We are grateful to have you on the team, Blaze. Thank you again for all of your hard work this week and for your reporting, my friend. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet one family who resettled here after fleeing Kharkiv just over a year ago. If you're a refugee here in Middle Tennessee, we want to hear what your experience has been like resettling here. So tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The past two years has seen two major refugee crises. The first was sparked by the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. Then, just over a year ago, Russia invaded Ukraine, leaving nearly 6 million people internally displaced and sending 8 million more people over the border as refugees. The majority are women and children due to martial law in Ukraine, which prohibits men between the ages of 18 and 60 from leaving the country. 
almost 300,000 Ukrainians have been resettled in the United States, including right here in Middle Tennessee. But relocating to a new city is just the start. From getting permission to work, to finding a job, to getting around town, to learning how to help your kid with schoolwork in a whole new language, resettlement is a long and all-encompassing process. My next guest, Natalia Diachenko, knows that process firsthand. And she joins us now with her daughter, Liz, who is actually already here in Nashville as a student athlete at Lipscomb when the war broke out. Natalia, Liz, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Now, first of all, Liz, I understand that you're about to graduate with your MBA mm -hmm. from Lipscomb in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, super exciting. It is very exciting. Let me offer you an early congratulations. Thank you. Wonderful. Now, you must be very proud, Natalia. Sure. Yeah. She's a beautiful daughter. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, now, tell me, you, you're you from Kharkiv. Yes. Which is a town very close to the so Russian. So close to Russian border, yeah. Yeah. Take us back to last February, if you don't mind. What What was that time like for you and your younger daughter? It was maybe 5 a.m. And I, my friend called me to the telephone and say the war is started. It was terrible news for us and we could not believe about it because Russia was our neighbor many years and many... <laughs> um, we all the time live like so close and together we were in one country we were in soviet union and uh, it was a terrible news for us yeah tell me how how did you make the decision to leave your town we lived around two weeks in a basement in our house because to be in a floor was so danger mm. we heard every day this bombing and um, it was so difficult to leave animals. We had many pets mm. in the house. And uh, we decided to go to the, to the central Ukraine. And we thought that it will be only two weeks, maybe two weeks. And uh, when we left Kharkiv, we understood that it's, it's a long time. It will be a long time. Uh, sometimes we lived in Western Ukraine with our relatives. And after that, <laughs> I had a dream to be in Lisa's graduate last year. Mm -hmm. By undergraduate graduation okay. yeah. ceremony. And we decided uh, with uh, my youngest daughter to go to America to visit her. You had a dream mm -hmm. about Liz graduating. Mm -hmm. And you said, that's why I have to come to America. Yes. Now, you mentioned you and your younger daughter came. How did how did your youngest daughter factor into that decision? Она имеет в виду, как на нее это все повлияло и как ты ее с собой взяла. Now she is so excited to be in America. Um, she um, she is in school now. Her English levels, I think, it's the best. <laughs> Not like me. And um, for her, it was like a um, fantastic trip to mm. another country. It's a very long distance. 
but uh, first six months she could not think and speak about Ukraine and about pastime. Mm. It was terrible time and thank you so much uh, our American friends who helped and help now. Yeva um, to like decide this problem. Yeah. What were the early days of being here in Nashville like for you? Um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of culture mm-hmm. shift. Каковы были первые дни в Нэшвилле? Как тебе культура другая? Как тебе, как ты себя чувствовала? It's so, it's so interesting. Lisa said me that, Mom, you looked like a woman from war. Mm. <laughs> uh, but for me, American people are so friendly. Not like in my country. It's not maybe... It's not bad, but we did not answer for question, how are you? Mm-hmm. We don't answer uh, great, nice, good. We say so-so, mm. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> well, well, tell me what it was like for you. I mean, you, you, like you said, you've been here at Lipscomb. You're on the tennis team for four years before the war broke out. Broke out. Yeah. What was it like getting the news while your family was still in Kharkiv? It was definitely terrifying uh it was five in the morning for them it was really late here i think we have like a seven hours difference so it was like 10 11 p.m i remember having this big test due midnight and i remember only having like an hour and i went to walgreens before to like get some snacks with my friend and then i opened my news or like i guess my phone started like blowing up and i was like oh like what's happening it's like 10 p.m right now and um they're just saying that like the first bombs dropped And uh, I remember just kind of immediately going into, like, protecting mode and trying to, like, reach out to them. Because my first thought was, like, oh, like, we're super close to the border. They're asleep. They, like, are not prepared whatsoever because no one knew this would be happening. So I tried to, like, call them. I remember mom didn't pick up. Um, I called my brother because he sometimes stays up to play games and stuff. So I called him and he's like, all right, like I'll figure it out. He didn't even know what was happening yet. Like it literally was like right as the first bombs dropped. And I was like, hey, I think you need to like go to the basement or like go hide somewhere, do something. Um, But I remember that like for them, it was also such a shock to like wake up to this. Like at least I was already done with my day and it wasn't the first news I've heard. Um, So yeah, but I mean, I definitely just felt really helpless. I'm usually... Again, I'm just like by nature a very protective person over the others. So, uh, well, how long did it take for you finally to get a hold of your mom and your family on the phone? Yeah, so I never did. As my mom mentioned, someone else called her while I was talking to my brother on the phone. So okay. by the time he got downstairs, uh, they're already awake. Okay. Um, so yeah, but I think I'll I'll let my mom talk in a second. But I think as soon as I told them. They pretty much just kind of gathered everything downstairs. As my mom mentioned, we did have a lot of pets back home. We had like five or six cats. Wow. A turtle. Guinea pigs. Some guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, at some point we had chickens, but we didn't have chickens last year. <laughs> but like it was a big house that we had back home and we had a lot of pets. So like I guess they were terrified. My mom was terrified for everyone else. Yeva, my sister, who was 11 back then, 
she was terrified of like, oh, like we can't leave. We got a bunch of pets out here. Like it's not something you just leave. Uh, but they ended up taking just some, we had to like pick and choose and uh, yeah. someone thankfully was able to take care of the rest, but there are some that didn't make it through. Mm. So I'm sorry you all had to leave them. I'm, I have a pet and I couldn't imagine being in that situation. You remember us, yeah. Yeah, you know, you love them. Um, now, you know, Ukrainian men between 18 and 60, they have to stay in the country. I know you have a son in his 20s. How is he doing? He's 29. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think he's okay because we moved to, like, safe territory from Kharkiv to Ivano-Frankivsk region. And he walks and he lives every day every day like me uh-huh. the same because i cannot think about future and i cannot think about past <laughs> uh-huh. yeah it's the same with my son sometimes we mm, talked with uh, him and he helped uh, Yeva with homework <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because uh, he's uh, good in science and uh-huh. he he helps his, his sister <laughs> Have you have you talked to other Ukrainian refugees here who have had to make the decision to leave without the men in their families? Have they talked about how hard that is for them? Yes. Uh, now I have um, some new friends mm-hmm. from Ukraine. And um, one of them is a mother of tennis co- uh, tennis uh, player from Lipscomb tennis team too. Yeah, so last year we actually had... Um, so including me, there are three girls on the team that were Ukrainian and our assistant coach was also Ukrainian as well. Okay. Our coach likes to recruit from Ukraine. So like we are pretty much the biggest like Ukrainian community in Nashville. There are not that many people from Ukraine, but we had most of them. So uh, my coach, Jamie Aid, she's the head coach for Lipscomb's Women Tennis. She... Um, just kind of, you know, was being very understanding last year. And I, I know a lot of people from Ukraine that play in the U.S. and everything. And uh, I just know that not every coach or every school was as understanding and uh, nice about the whole situation as mm. Lipscomb was. Uh, but, yeah, so I know that um, one of the girls, her mom got to her mom flew here with her sister as well. Her sister ended up going to Poland to be with her friends, and then her mom's still here. And uh, it's definitely, like, a big, big adjustment and change for her because she had to leave her husband behind, and he's still in Ukraine. Um, So, I mean, her and my mom hang out sometimes uh, and stuff and just try to, you know, get together as much um, as they can. Community is very important in times like this Mm because you kind of want to, like, relate to people around you. Um, so I think that is something that helped me as well. When they got here, I could like relate to them and kind of like be with my community and kind of connect with that part of myself that I was missing throughout all these years. Mm-hmm, I understand. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour with refugees from Ukraine and Afghanistan about their experiences resettling here in middle Tennessee. Now, Natalia, how, what does it mean to you to have some of your, your country people, Ukrainians here, to help you make that adjustment here in America? 
Как как ты себя чувствуешь, что есть поддержка вокруг тебя, особенно поддержка от кого-то, кто из Украины тоже? Difficult question, but maybe a big support we have from American American people. It's Lisa's coach, Jamie, and her husband. We are very grateful this family. Uh, this is a First Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. uh, which help us all this time, and we mm, cannot live without this support, I think. But um, to have mm, friends from Ukraine in America, it's so so good because around us only English, <laughs> only English language, and sometimes we need to speak. Yeah. Like, like in, in at home. There are definitely times when I come back for like a lunch break or something, and mom is like s- spamming me with information, and she just wants to like talk to someone and get it out of mm-hmm. the way. But I think it's funny because I'm like, mom, I can tell you have not talked to people <laughs> in our language in a long time. But I understand that you're taking English classes now at Legacy Mission with immigrants and refu- yeah. people from all over the world. Yes, this um, this school um, has many refugees from Asia and uh, Africa and South America. From Europe, I I don't know people, only me mm-hmm. and my friend. Yeah, <laughs> and that's all. So yeah. it was still a, like a, a shift for her because she's traveled around Europe a lot, but she's never really been like outside of Europe. She has, but like it's not like a common thing for her. Mm-hmm. So like even coming to the course, like English classes and everything, she hoped to like meet more people like her. And I guess she just didn't find them there at first. Mm-hmm. And I guess they got some more people now. But so uh, it's folks from all over. Is English the common language you all use to talk with each other? Yes, yes. We have like English in English. Okay. Because um, all of us speaks different language. And uh, it, it's so funny to understand another culture, another history, another tradition. Mm. So interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I imagine the things that you all talk about uh, um, is a wide range of topics, huh? It really is. <laughs> Now, how, how, how have... How the family unit, the three of you, you know, you and both of your daughters, how have you all been adjusting and helping each other during these very, very difficult times? Mm. Things about that I have here to children, it's it's so 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 important for me, and um, I know my. Oldest daughter is so independent. <laughs> She was here for years without us, without family, and she could could uh, study and play tennis. And I think she is very successful. <laughs> mm. And I hope her future will be so good. And my youngest daughter, it's like um, my toy <laughs> my baby yeah. but uh, she's not so young she's 12 now but um this is like um culture like trip like culture expedition for me i understand um 
and other people and I want to be with my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, I think I'm just trying to spend more time with them. Uh, I, I am pretty independent, as my mom said, and I like to spend time by myself. But um, I think having them by my side um, has been really, really great. And it's the kind of support I think that I wasn't necessarily mature enough back in the days, like before going to college, I kind of just wanted to like be out of it and like, oh, parents, you know, how that goes in your mm-hmm. teenage years. But um, mm-hmm. I really, really appreciate them now. And like even Yeva, she's so mature for her age. Um, she's super supportive. Um, and I just, you know, try to be there for them as much as possible and try to hear them out. I mean, once again, I feel like I haven't gone through the same experiences they have. Uh, I obviously was still involved because, you know, I grew up there. It's my country, but uh, I can't even imagine like the way they were feeling because I was sick the whole time. Like when the war started, like I literally couldn't sleep, like I couldn't eat, couldn't do anything. Um, I think they kind of like didn't have time to like cry about it at first. They had to act right away. So I'm I'm very proud of them. They're super brave and It took them definitely a long time to get here and to learn new things, but I think they've been doing great. That's wonderful. I'm happy that my girls are so friendly to each other. and <laughs> We try. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, youngest daughter all the time uh, says to her sister, you are the best sister in the world. <laughs> mm. She's sweet. I, I go to therapy a lot because um, I struggle with depression. So like whenever... I can. I try to support her uh, with everything because I kind of just worked through how it was for myself when I was at her age. So I try to be nice to her. Mm-hmm. Well, a family that loves each other will forever remain strong. I want to thank you both for coming on to the show to talk to us. My guests were Natalia Diachenko from Kharkiv, Ukraine. She was joined by her daughter, Liz Diachenko. Thank you again, both of you, for thank joining you. us. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the ongoing resettlement process for Afghan refugees here in Middle Tennessee. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colona, and this is Nashville. In August of 2021, the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan after the United States military withdrew the last of its troops. The move brought an end to 20 years of military presence in the country. This swift and highly criticized exit resulted in a refugee crisis with over a million Afghans fleeing their homeland and many more internally displaced. At least 500 people came to Middle Tennessee for relocation. And around this time last year, that influx was placing great strain on our resettlement agencies. So how are these members of our community holding up now? I'm joined by Abdul Wahid Nakarar, who came here from Afghanistan with his family of 14. He's joined by Salim Tahiri, co-founder of Tennessee Resettlement Aid, board member of the Afghanistan Association of Nashville and former guest of the show. Abdul Wahid Salim, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. 
And thank you. So a note for our listeners, Abdul Wahid speaks Pashto and Salim will be translating for him as needed. So, you know, Abdul Wahid, I'm interested. I understand that you were in the military and you were working with U.S. special forces in Afghanistan at the time of the withdrawal. Can you tell us what the process of leaving the country with your family was like? Afghanistan no Afghanistan uh, so Abdul Wahid uh, says that uh, when um, that situation came that Taliban would take take over he was in his post uh, post on a mission and then he was told and his group was told that we are not fighting and we are leaving. No, he said that it is very tough for us and it was tough for, for us having gun and everything uh, prepared for fight and the commander tells you that not for, do not fight. Now tell me when you left, when you g- gathered your family and you were leaving, what was that experience like? Was everyone worried? Was everyone together? No, Abdulwahid said that uh, when I get to, call, uh, to the airport, we cleared the airport, and then we were uh, instructed to bring uh, our families uh, to Kabul airport. So tell me, when did you arrive here in Nashville? Uh, September uh, 21st, uh, 2021. Okay, so it's going on a year and a half, a little bit over, that you've been here. What's been the most difficult part about this transition for you and your family? موسیقی لورگانے میں ڈیر خوشحالی گا مچ مکتب تزی تاسو خا خبر اسی چا افغانستان کی حتا پالکانو ہم تعلیم باندی بندیس لگے دلے دا چا غا گورم او دلتا میں اخپل آغا گورم بیا خوشحالی ما وقت میں خطی ری گی اوز He says the first when we were in the camps we didn't know what will happen to us because we were seeing no future but getting back to Nashville everything set up properly and then at the beginning we uh, we were panicking that how will we survive in Nashville in another country that we don't know the language and my family also does not know uh, the language uh, and the language barrier the culture barrier and uh, that was tough but right now kids are going to school and every, my daughters that is I'm very happy that they are going to school back mm-hmm. home they 
those guys just um, even close to school for the girls. But I'm very happy for my daughter being here. Mm -hmm. Now, Salami, you've been working with people, you know, helping them get adjusted to living in Nashville. You know, tell us what what kind of progress have you seen resettled Afghan refugees make over this past year and a half? Uh, on the beginning, it was very tough for uh, for these guys uh, when I was w visiting them uh, and in the uh, hotels and uh, places where they were uh, put. And then uh, we talked with them and then uh, we found some of the recruiters so that they can get to the jobs and they, then they get busier. Uh, because in the beginning, uh, sometimes they were um, having the mental issues. When they got here, mm -hmm. the culture and everything was different. When we put them in the, uh, on the in the jobs, they started the jobs and they got busier and they uh, they are supporting now themselves and uh, they are happy. Now, one of the positives is that there's an existing Afghan community here. The local Muslim community has also been very involved in the resettlement efforts. Ramadan Mubarak to everyone out there. Thank you. You're, uh, of course, you're welcome. Now, how has how has the community stepped up to help people new to the country? Um. They tried also uh, when when we hear, heard about the uh, fallout of Afghanistan, uh, it was very tough uh, and bad news for us here uh, in Nashville. And the community also got the information, so we prepared our team so that we will help. Uh, I was the guy that I was mostly involved in was going to uh, to the hotels, and when I was going to the hotels, getting some uh, meals there uh, because that was provided by the community. I was seeing one family and I was having meal for one family, but I was seeing three or four more families and were asking that, hey, brother, I was here for uh, three or four uh, days and we didn't have meal mm. with the kids. Wow. Three or four days without a meal. Yeah. Man, um, well, what type of challenges does that bring? Uh, the, the challenge... Uh, Actually, these people, when when they got here, they didn't know where to go, and they didn't know about the where where they can buy stuff. And uh, the resettlement agency they brought them from the airport and they placed them uh, in the hotels. Uh, and then uh, th that's why they uh, they didn't know what where to go and uh, what to do. And then what uh, I was going there and I was seeing the gap. When I saw that gap, then I was, uh, me and Katie Fan, uh, we decided to build a nonprofit organization to reach out to all these people. Because for a single person or a family uh, or a community of disparate community we have in, in Nashville, mm -hmm. uh, it would uh, be very difficult to help these people. But luckily, we, we help them. And right now, more than 97% of these people are working. Okay. And uh, so, Abdul Wahid, tell me. What are you doing for work now? ABC Technologies Company ki karkoma chalta the motor parts na jodi gaya altazam alta karkom zaman ke bia the tiare group chade kam Tennessee Resettlement it no de dir kumakuna karla wana no sarano zaham mutasar shom us dios raham volunteer ki karkom. I'm working in uh, ABC Technologies for a living, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, beside that, I am a volunteer with Tennessee Resettlement Aid because at the beginning they helped me, uh, and now I'm just trying to contribute to the community. How does how does that feel to receive this aid, but yet turn around before you're even fully acclimated here to this country, you 
or feel compelled to help others who are in a similar situation. I'm getting very happy when uh, helping the uh, the other refugee communities. I'm helping also Nepalis, I'm helping Afghan community, but um, I'm getting very happy when I'm doing that job. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about the, you're in the process of learning English. Has that been difficult for you? بلکل اوس خدای پخانه دیر خشویم زکه چه بعضی کورسونه اوس انگلیسی کلاسونه آلمه نو آگه می جوان کردی نو خوشحالیم خدای زندگی خرابانده. Yeah, I I started uh, attending ESL classes. Mm-hmm. Now I understand and uh, it's very good and uh, I'm getting to where um, where I, I have to be and I'm learning English. Mm-hmm. I understand you have twelve children, right? Yes. That's amazing. Congratulations to Thank you. Thank you. How how are they coming along with their English? Uh, my elder son, uh, 17 and 16, uh, they can speak English right now and they can solve their problem in English. Uh, my wife uh, speaks English very well also because she joined the class ESL classes. Mm-hmm. So we are happy and we are learning. Okay. Okay. Well, Salim, tell me though, how is the language barrier, how, how can that affect opportunities for employment for people, you know, new to the country like Abdul Wahid? Uh, the, the issue is that if they don't know the language, uh, there's a lot of challenges. The first work permit is one of the, uh, the sorry, uh, the uh, driver license is one of the cha- big challenge in Nashville, Tennessee, that if you don't know English, you cannot pass the uh, 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 driver license test. And the same thing is happening, like if they are going to a shop, so what would they do? Mm-hmm. Mostly my time is spent on translating and to doing translation for these guys and also our volunteer team that we have 14 uh, guys we usually do the translation job for them. Uh, it is very tough if you don't know the language and if you are going to a store and you are trying to buy something from, uh, if you know the thing, that's fine. But if you are searching for that, that's that stuff. The same thing applies to their uh, workplaces. Uh, but what we did, we found one of the guy uh, who was speaking English and we talked with the recruiters that placed this guy as intermediate between you and the employees. Mm-hmm. So they, we had that guy and they were helping them. Okay. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about how refugee families from Afghanistan and Ukraine are adapting to living in Middle Tennessee. My guests are Abdul Wahid Nakarar, who came here from Afghanistan with his family of 14, and Salim Tahiri, co-founder of Tennessee Resettlement Aid, who is translating for Abdul Wahid, as well as sharing his perspective as an advocate. Now, I imagine with a family of 14, Housing is a bit of an issue, can be a big problem. Abdul Wahid, how were you able to find a place to live that you could afford? 
کورونو پیدا کول د ډیر زیات مشکل دی او تاسو چې سوارلس کسان وای نو دا د کور پیدا کول څنګه ته دا مخکې وړلی شي او څنګه دی دې کې رښتیا هم چې ما ډېر مشکلات تېر کړ ځکه چې یو میاشت مخکې یا دوه میاشتې مخکې موږ ته راپور راکړ چې دا مخکینی کور به پرېدي نو ډېر وګرځېدم حتی اوخایو ته لاړم زه چې کور پیدا کړم ما له چا کور نه راکوم او داسې تیارې کوم ګروپ د خوانه چېرته څوک پیدا شوی و چې هغې ما سره کومک وکړ او کور یې ما له چا کور نه راکوم ځکه چې زما فیملي غټ نو مشکلات و Yeah, uh, two months before when I got a notice that leave the house, it was very challenging for me. I even went to Ohio to find a place where I can live with my with my 12 uh, children, uh, but I did, I was um, unable to find that. It was, and I didn't know what to do. And then a Tennessee Resettlement Aid, through their volunteer, one of the volunteer had a house and they rented uh, that house to us. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. But, you know, Salim, tell me, what are some of the issues that people are finding with housing? Um, the big challenge right now for these Afghan refugees are their work permits are expiring um, in August. So when they are renewing, uh, they cannot renew it for a year because they don't have work permit mm. valid for a year. So if they are trying to lease the house less than a year, the prices go high. And the other thing is that some of these guys who came from southern border, they're living here, they don't have any background, and the house owner are asking for the background check and also for their work, where they work, and if they don't have, they cannot have find a house. So the work permits, they're set to expire later this summer, and they still haven't received asylum status or permanent residency status from the federal government, what are you concerned that that this lack of efficiency in the paperwork is going to lead to? Uh, to a lot of homeless and a lot of jobless people. Mm-hmm. Because if they lose their uh, work permit, they will lose their social security numbers also because that is uh, a temporary social security. And if it ends, they will lose the job. And they will lose their houses. Have, have you, has, has your organization been in touch with the federal agencies that are tasked to complete this paperwork? Um, these guys who are here, they are, uh, some of them applied for asylum and some are in the process and some got the approval. So as soon as they get the approval, they get the work permit automatically updated. Right now, they need to apply for TPS. Uh, we tried whatever we could, uh, but this is a federal uh, government process that They, they have their specific rules and we cannot interfere. Mm-hmm. I understand. Now, Abdul Wahid, I, I'm curious, what are your plans for the future? What do you want for you and your family? No, Ratulun ke kila para, no, plans chenishta dekho, mashumano talim de, Ratulun ke kila para, like akhpal I don't have any specific plan at this moment, but uh, I'm very happy and the plan is my kids mm-hmm. uh, when they get education and they serve back to U.S. Now, you, you mentioned your daughters 
you're very happy that your daughters are able to go to school. And because now in Afghanistan, the Taliban has just restricted that, preventing young girls, I believe it's after the age of 12, to continue their education. Two questions for you. One, how many daughters do you have? Five. You have five daughters. Yeah. So now you get to see your little girls grow up and to be fully educated here in the United States of America. What do you want for them with this precious opportunity that they have? I'm very happy for my daughters, and I'm uh, I'm happy that they are going to school and they are coming back. Right now, in back home uh, in Afghanistan, there is now a school for those. I'm very happy, and I'm happy that they are getting education and they will serve the country. Mm-hmm. Salim, really quick, we got about 30 seconds left. Two questions wrapped up in one for you. What kind of support would you like to see for our refugee families here in Middle Tennessee, and where or how can our listeners help? I think uh, um, whenever they see the refugees, they have to help them. And also the housing is one of the crises. If, if our listeners can help with, the, with that, that would be great. Uh, and uh, because these people are coming from, the, right now we have people from southern border or from the other states who are coming here as a refugee. And, and, as, and as a refugee, it's very tough. It's it's a, a very tough experience uh, to be uh, to go somewhere and know nothing, and then you, everybody tells you like, hey, you cannot get house because you don't you didn't work it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't work because I uh, I wasn't here, so that's a challenge. Yeah, how can our listeners help? Where can they go? Uh, if they can just donate stuff for these new refugees, like household household items, if they have extra couches, extra desks, and tables, and that, yeah, okay. uh, and beds. Also. Okay. I want to thank you both so much for being here. Salim Tahiri is a board member of the Afghanistan Association of Nashville. He was joined by Abdul Wahid Nakarar. Thank you both for being with us, thank gentlemen. You so thank you very much. We want to thank you. everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Pat Lynch and Julia Ritchie. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>